huge delight to have you here with us this morning. There's no seven milers watching kids right now. This, is, this, this will only happen once a year. This is so interesting. It's like babysitting. Wow. Um, so we've got everybody who is able to make it today in the house to spend this time together. I've got 10 minutes to preach some gospel to you. Then we're going to hear brief updates from each of the four churches that we are planting together. So let's just pray and press into this. Let's do that. Father, visit us through the means of your grace that is the preaching of the word. Take the preachers, throw them in the background. Bring Christ in his glory, in his gospel to the foreground. Give us the kind of hearts that are soft. The kind of hearts that say yes to what you intend for us. What you've done for us and what you've called us to. Would you meet us during this time and during our conversations after in a pronounced way? That's my prayer. I pray that you would hear and answer. Amen. All right, I get a couple of minutes to unpack one verse of Scripture with you that is really helpful for what we're going for. This is one of those verses of Scripture that has to, has to, has to inform our life together if we're going to be a healthy family of churches in the coming years. This one verse is from the book of Acts. That's the big beautiful story of the first ever gospel-centered churches getting planted. And listen to how the Spirit describes their life together. I'm going to show you these verses on the screen, read them to you, and then I'll go back to the first one. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said, that anything that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. All right, Angel, will you back to that first one? If this dream of ours to actually be a family of independent but interdependent churches is ever going to happen, the spirit of those words has got to be true in your soul and in my soul. Let's work it together. The full number. Luke loves that phrase. That's his way of saying everybody. Everybody. No outliers. No lone wolves in the corner. No religious elites with like the special seats up in the upper deck behind the glass. No separation or division. All of the community. All of them. If this was Pan Am, this would be District 1 through 13, plus the capital, everybody on the same page. That didn't land for my non-movie buffs. Okay. <laughs> if this was the Patriots, this would be the offense and the defense and the special teams and the coaching staff and the kid that brings out the water and irons the uniforms. Everybody on the same page. If this was an orchestra, this is the strings and the percussion and all the instruments that are involved, the brass, the woodwinds, and the conductor, even the fancy pants first violin that likes to do their own thing, everybody on the same page. We love to make segments in the American church, right? The millennials are over here. The young marrieds without kids are over there. The middle-aged parents with teenagers one of the girls from Orlando told me, oh, our church has a lot of middle-aged families like yours. 
like, is that what I am now? Okay. Empty nesters, senior saints, they do, we segmentize. At times that's okay, but sometimes those divisions are necessary. Sometimes not at all. Here Luke says, everyone in the community, the full number. Then he says they were of one heart and soul. What's that? Unity, togetherness, all in, super tight. Super tight is how we say that at Seven Mile Road. This is a spiritual, interior, soul level, almost mystical phrase in here. Because here is always where unity begins in the life of a church. Unity never begins with the right strategy or the right X's and O's or the programming choreographed perfectly or the beautifully stated mission statement or the right catchphrase. Unity never starts out there. Unity always begins in the soul. It's a spiritual place where it starts. Now by spiritual, I don't mean emotional or like feely, sentimental. This is not the kind of unity that's like, let's just text each other a bunch of emojis. The big one with the giant eyes and the big teeth, that's the one because we're really tight. That kind of emotional unity goes away in 10 minutes. When he says heart and soul, he doesn't just mean the seat of the emotions. He means the seat of your will. These people, all of them, had determined to get along, determined to love each other. They were willing, is how we say it, the will, willing to pay the price to be united. Where in the world does that come from? It's a miracle of grace. Luke says it like this, these were the ones who had believed the gospel. It takes a radical reorienting work of the grace of God to take self-interested you and self-interested me and get us interested about the community of Jesus. This is why we say the gospel, gospel centrality, believing the gospel is the number one distinctive in the life of this church. We will never get to unity if we don't start by believing the gospel of God's free grace together. That's what makes us united. After noting that, Luke then says, the inworking of the Spirit had this beautiful outworking. Ever take a can of Coke or Pepsi or Dr. Pepper or Sprite, if that's your thing, but that's like a sissy drink to me? If you ever took like a, a monster energy drink and shook that thing for 20, 30, 40 seconds. You ever done that? And then found your unsuspecting friend and said, hey, Colin, you want one? And handed it to him. What happens when they flip that lid? Inevitably, boom, there's an explosion of carbonated juice all over them. This is how the gospel is supposed to work in your soul and in the life of this church. The gospel is supposed to carbonate inside of us as we think on it, dwell on it, study it, believe it, take hold of it. But it can't help but come out in our life together. That's the way that the gospel works. And Luke says, 
Here was the explosion when they flipped the lid of gospel. This is what it looked like. No one said that anything that belonged to him was his own, but they held everything in common. Okay, we live wicked close to Vermont, so let me begin by telling you what this does not say. Number one, this is not a biblical argument for socialism or for communism or for the redistribution of wealth through taxation or every other forced way of taking money from someone and giving it to another person. Any professor or blogger or kind of goofy-looking presidential candidate who tries to say that to you is a fool and a liar and a thief. Okay? Socialism is an evil economic system. Private property is a beautiful biblical principle. It's actually affirmed in these words. This stuff belonged to them. It was not taken from them. It was freely, voluntarily given away. Freely, not by force. Second thing, this is not, is an ongoing communal model for how we're going to live together as Jesus' people when it comes to our material things. Some of you are Greek nerds. If you wanted to get into the, I'm looking at you, Michael, somebody who wanted to get into the Greek word tense of this and proud of it. Later on, you would see that when Joseph gives his lands away, the tense is, this is something that they had been doing. Can you believe that? Not something that was expected to be ongoing, a communal lifestyle necessarily. So this is beautiful and exemplary, but not necessarily precedent. If this was precedent, we really would all be living in the basement on cots together if Jesus was calling us to this. It's the spirit underneath that that we are going for, all right? So we know what this is not. What is this? This text gives us a whole new way of thinking about what the Lord has given to us, what we have in our hands, our possessions. And the key idea today is this. The gospel moves us from mine to ours. The gospel moves us from mine to ours. The default posture of every single human heart in this room is like those seagulls from Finding Nemo. Now, I know you've all seen that movie, so don't pretend that you haven't. Do you remember the scene when the super tense and gloomy orange fish is flopping around on the deck with the super annoying and overly cheery bluefish. Do you remember that? And the seagulls see them. And I'm hoping that the orange fish makes it out and I wouldn't have been too hurt if the bluefish went away at that point in the movie. What do the seagulls start saying to themselves? Mine, 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 mine. That is every heart without the gospel. That is every heart without the gospel. But then the gospel starts to shake up a soul. We stop thinking mine. And we start thinking ours. The radical shift. There is no more, I got to look out for me. I got to take care of me. I got to make sure that I maximize my return. Now it becomes, I got to look out for us. Totally different thing. How can what I have been given be mobilized 
for the good of others that Jesus has bound me to. This would have been shocking in Luke's day. The Greco-Roman culture, the world was built on reciprocity. I give to you because I know that that will cycle back to me. You have this on Bostonian culture, right? You're getting appetizers or a beer or something and somebody goes, I got this one. When they say that, what's built into that statement? And you got the next one. Boomerang generosity. I'm going to throw this at you tonight, but I know when the next big game comes around, it's going to spring back to me. That is not this. Imagine this with me. This is, I got this one, and I am not expecting anything to come back. I am so excited about and devoted to the other people in this room. I'm going to give, and I'm not looking for reciprocity. I just want to be a blessing. It is absolutely essential, absolutely essential, that we begin to live this way together. Being a family of churches will never work. It will never work. It will never, ever work if our leaders and our people are not constantly saying, it's not mine, it's ours. It's not mine, it's ours. Now, this is nearly impossible to do. It takes great faith. There is a lot to figure out in the details. But I am asking you, will you go for this with us? Will you go for this with us? Will you be the first one to say, what can I give? Where is there a need? How's everybody else doing? How can I meet that need? You can start practicing this in the next 15, 20 minutes that we have together. We're about to hear four brief updates from our churches. Regardless of which one that you run with, regardless, will you actually set your soul, your will right now to be as excited about what's happening in the other churches as your own and start teaching your heart to think, it's not just mine, it's ours. All right, first update is from Brian in Kennebunk. Brian's planting a church, so he was in New Jersey this weekend picking up audio equipment, and then he is preaching this morning at a bigger church in Portland to try and forge partnership with them, and then he's getting in his car and driving down here, so he'll be, he'll be eating with us, but we asked him to shoot video that you could watch. Uh, the video may be a little uh, robot man choppy here, but I think you're going to be able to hear the audio fine. So Angel, play on this. This is Brian, who's planting Seven Mile Road up in Kennebunk.
All right. So that's Brian. He is planting Seven Mile Road in Kennebunk in five weeks. Oh, shoot. Wow. All right. That's good news. All right. Whose picture do we have up there first, next? Which church? Dan, you want to go? All right, Brian. All right. Good morning, Seven Mile Road. I'm Dan. If you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor of Seven Mile Road in Malden. So I bring greetings for you to you from three miles away. Uh, very close. <laughs> I cannot begin to tell you the amount of surprises that God has shown us this year. Um, it's been three years since we've planted this church. There has been a faithful gospel presence in the city of Malden, a community of believers on mission there for three years. So let's just praise God for that. Um, this year, we had an incredibly fruitful season. Um, just to just throw out some numbers, in the last 12 months, we've had four baptisms. We've called um, 10 new members into the life of the church, and we have just grown uh, by dozens of people um, that have visited our church and connected with us. But the exciting thing isn't that we're growing. Uh, the exciting thing, I think, for us is how we're growing. Um, in the last year, from those that were baptized or called as members into the church, um, I can count among them... Romanians, Mexicans, Dominicans, Salvadorians, African-Americans, New Englanders, right? There are a ton of diverse people growing this church, not just numerically, but by diversity. And because we've set our hearts on loving a city that is radically diverse, our church has been uh, radically diverse. And so it's been really, really, really fun to see that. In fact, one Sunday I was, I lift my head and I was just surveying the crowd and I could count among us nine different countries represented. And it was just amazing in our small little congregation that there are nine well-represented people groups in our church worshiping the name of Jesus together with us that weekend. And so that was a fun thing to see. So it's not about gathering a bunch of different people to kind of do something together. Uh, Clubs have that, your workplace have that, schools have that. Uh, that's nothing, there's nothing distinctly Christian about that. But what we feel like we're called to do in Malden, what we dream about happening in Malden is something different. We believe that we want to go after something only God can accomplish through the re reconciling work of his son, Jesus Christ. We want to see a diverse people, not just considering one another as friends, you know, that's a club. But we want a diverse group of people living together like family. It's a church. And so we are asking God to do that. So let me just share three quick updates and stories to get you a picture, taste and feel of what's happening in Malden. So one, um, some of you may know that El Salvador is going through some violence right now, some, some um, incredible violence. And so it's not safe to be there. We've actually had two girls, El Salvadorian girls, flee their home country uh, to find safety and solace and stability here in these United States. So they got here about a couple years ago. Um, they left the comforts of their parents. They left the comforts of the only home they gr grew up in, their friends, all of that. And they, they were desperately looking for a community to belong to. Now, by God's grace, just about 0.1 miles away from them, walking distance, there was a church community that gathered together um, on a Sunday morning, and so they decided to check it out. And it wasn't their traditional Salvadorian, parents generation type of church. It was a younger, more diverse, uh, still gospel-preaching church. 
And so it's been beautiful to see from that Sunday that they visited till now for, to see how much our church has embraced them into our family, how much they've embraced Seven Mile Road as their family. In fact, this past week, last week, we got to baptize Andrea, and she just shared, and it was just beautiful to hear how now this has become her family. This has become her family away from her real family, and we got to celebrate with her that this is now a safe place, um, a, a stable place where they can grow in their faith. And so it's been really, really fun to see our church be a safe place for immigrants that just don't share the same type of story that we share. Or, or think about this. It's a miracle that any of us has been saved and rescued out of sin and death, right? It's all the more a miracle when we see a radically individualistic New England-born ex-Catholic saved out of sin and death and believe Jesus, right? What I found even more surprising than that is actually those Bostonians taking a step of faith in obedience to Jesus and publicly declaring outwardly what's happened inwardly. One such man did that this week, right? Last week. We baptized a man who uh, felt the call of God on his life to follow Jesus and was willing to declare publicly what was happening inwardly. I got a text from uh, Peter uh, a couple weeks ago. He said, hey, um, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I know we've been talking about the theological implications of baptism and kind of the social uh, things about that. And uh, I heard you preach on John 3 and how Jesus calls us to be uh, born again in order to, be en- to enter into the kingdom of God. And he says, I think I'm ready for my adult baptism to um, declare that new life that's happened in me. And so we just did it. The next week, he, after he texted me, we said, let's do it. We got the baptismal out. We baptized him. And I, I want to tell you, there is nothing like seeing a New Englander jump into the cold waters of baptism and just declaring his allegiance to Jesus Christ and following him. So it was beautiful to see that. It's something that just sparks a belief and faith in you that the Holy Spirit is alive and God's arm is not too short to save. Um, And lastly, I just got a text. This is all stuff recently. I got a text from one of the members of our church and she was texting me um, and she was saying, hey, I'm reading the Bible And I'm seeing Jesus in here, and it's awesome. I just love doing this. And so the word of God is living and active in our people's souls, uh, stirring up affections for Jesus. So Seven Mile Road, I want you guys to feel that. I want you guys to see that, hear that. I want you guys to know that God is bringing together a people that are radically diverse and not just calling them to be friends, but actually making them and allowing them to live together as family. And I love for you guys to pray with us. Um, one of the, the greatest challenges I think this coming year is how we're going to grow deeper together in our gospel communities, how we're going to be discipled together. So we're going to need more gospel communities. We're going to need more hosts of gospel communities. We're going to need more leaders of gospel communities. We're going to need more people in the life of our church to plug into our gospel communities and live on mission with us. And so uh, please pray for us towards that end. And I want you to know, this is not just Malden's church. This is our church. You guys, though you don't meet in Malden, you're a part of this. Through your giving, through your praying, through your faithfulness to the, whatever church you're a part of, you are a part of this work together. And so this is our church. You're in this work. I want you guys to feel that with me.
All right, Seven Mile. Bring you greetings from Waltham. Um, now, it was awesome last week having uh, many of you uh, from Melrose travel over to Waltham. I would love to know, for anyone, was that their first time in Waltham? Anybody? Yeah, there were several people who said, never been over here, which is just crazy to a guy who grew up in the South when you just kind of travel all over these big um, cities. You're in every kind of suburb, uh, but to know that people have lived there their whole lives and never been just, you know, 10 miles down the road uh, is awesome, which is, again, why we need to plant more churches in and among the different um, cities and people groups um, in the greater Boston area. And so um, that was just awesome for us, especially uh, me getting to look out and see uh, so many, uh, not just familiar faces, but familial faces, because you have become um, like family to us. And so as I was thinking about what what uh, update I wanted to share, I wanted to do it through a story. And so um, last week, um, 8 a.m., I've put out all the parking signs, like got up on the first alarm, was ready to go, pumped for the day, could hardly sleep the night before. Uh, I mean, I was ready to go. I was standing outside. I was the first person to arrive um, at the Boys and Girls Club, had a minute to breathe and just praying and thanking the Lord for what was about to happen. Um, and around 10 after 8, um, the crew shows up. Man, five, everyone is five minutes early. We're supposed to all get there, 8.15, ready to load in. And I'm like, man, we're just ready for today. It's going to be awesome. 8.15 rolls around, and the person to open the door to the Boys and Girls Club's not there. I'm like, hey, it's okay. There's grace for that, right? You could be a couple minutes late. 8.30. I'm like, is it time to send a text? Yeah, I think it's time to send a text. Send a flurry of texts, some phone calls. I'm getting nothing. Nobody. Everybody's sleeping in. Okay. Right, 15 minutes, not too bad. Not even, I haven't started to sweat yet. 8.45. I'm drenched. <laughs> we're, in, we're now 30 minutes behind getting set up, you know, and this is, uh, this is a complete, you know, from scratch kind of setup. And so I start just calling anybody that I know may have any affiliation with the Boys and Girls Club. I mean, maybe you have a key. Could you let us in? And finally, I get an answer from a girl who's a staff member there who's actually started coming to uh, Seven Mile Waltham. Clear, I woke her up. You know that, that phone call when, like, they're groggy and they're like, hello, hello, you know, <laughs> searching for breath. They haven't, have, haven't even had a glass of water yet. And she runs up there uh, straight out of bed and opens the door for us at 9 a.m. Normally by 9 a.m., we have we're set up, the band's rehearsing, and we're putting like the finishing touches on the finer details of, of, a, of a from scratch setup. Um, and we just start flying. I mean, boxes are going, cords, you got to buy backup cords are flying everywhere. And we get it up and running in 20 minutes, which is our personal record. And, um, and the band uh, was doing two new songs that day, had no time to really rehearse. And everybody's just, you know, from running around drenched in sweat. Well, the guy who was supposed to be there at 8.15 um, finally shows up after a few phone calls. And you can just tell the look. He is just mortified, embarrassed. Like you talk about the, the sunken shoulders, the weight of guilt and shame. And he's just like, is there anything I can do? Can I, can I help set up? And, and we're just kind of running around. And um, by miracle of God, I haven't lost it, you know. I mean, because the stress and everything else. And so um, I go and because I, I completely sweat through my first shirt, go and change into uh, another shirt. And I walk out and he's sitting at the desk, um, just looking like, 
a uh, like a, a, a sullen puppy, you know, who's just um, gone on the floor or whatever. And he's just so like overcome with guilt and shame. And I knew in that moment, this is why the Lord put this in our path, was to be able to speak grace into this young man's life, to go up to him and say, hey, that was hard for us. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That, that was kind of a punch in the gut. But you need to know this, that we fundamentally believe at the core of who we are, that everybody makes mistakes. Everybody, everybody sleeps in, everybody snoozes. And that's just like the easy stuff. We're not even getting into the real wickedness and the depth of depravity that resides in every single human heart. But we also fundamentally believe that there's a thing called grace. It is undeserved favor, it's undeserved gift, it's an undeserved blessing. And my brother, not only are you forgiven, but it's done. Like, I don't want to ever talk about it again. You're, you, you, you can know that on Monday morning, I'm not throwing you under the bus to your boss, that this is not some uh, mark against our relationship, that you not only are forgiven, but you're completely forgiven. And we believe in a big God who does big things. And you could just start to see the face turn up, shoulders, the weight coming off of it, as he may have been experiencing the first taste of grace in this young man's life. That is a picture of what God is doing through this church. Now that team that got everything ready, um, that's another picture of God's grace because it's not my church, it's our church. And I am not smart enough or savvy enough to have gathered the all-star team that we have. I mean, these people sat outside for 45 minutes waiting and then got in there. Nobody complained. There was literally not a single complaint from the day. And everyone just said, hey, whatever needs to be done, we'll do it. And as I've talked with some of you, most of you didn't even know that we got set up, that we got started 45 minutes late, which is just a testament to the team. And it was also another um, gift of God's grace to throw a wrench in our perfect system and say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when your perfectly orchestrated, outlined plans get thrown out the window and you have to rely on God himself? And it was amazing to see um, the Spirit show up in that mess, bring our team together, give us a story to tell, and do something that we couldn't have done on our own. That's what God is doing through this team um, in Waltham. And so it's just amazing um, to get to be uh, a part of it. And we're able to do that because uh, of what we're doing together um, as a family. And so uh, from uh, from me and from every uh, member out in Waltham, we just want to say thank you to um, the Malden Church and to the Melrose Church and the Kennebunk Church and just the family of what we're going for. Because uh, on one hand, it would be easier if we just hoarded everything together and, um, and, 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 and kind of lived in that, that comfort and security of having um, everything together. But by um, walking out on faith and stepping out and giving generously, we're able to do better uh, and beautiful, more beautiful gospel work together. And so uh, you could be praying a couple things. One, our launch is coming up on September 17th. And so if you could just pray for, for me and for our team as we start to experience uh, uh, the rhythms of weekly, day in and day out uh, ministry, and that's going to be a new uh, a new pace for us. And so pr- uh, pray for us to have just the stamina and uh, 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 the grace to be able to, to do that. And then also I'll be praying for more um, leaders in our church to uh, lead some new um, gospel communities because we're uh, kind of busting at the seams right now, which is a good thing, and need some more um, space to host uh, some new gospel communities. So thank you.
You got my couple of minutes of preaching to you. Now I'm just going to take the last three or four minutes and give you the updates on what's happening in the life of the Melrose Church. So if you're a part of Melrose, you should just be rejoicing at the grace of God. If you're a part of Kennebunk or Waltham or Malden, I just want you to see what the Lord's been doing this year. And if you're here physically today and brand new to the life of this church, we're just trying to build a church that just fits Bostonians who need to see and hear about the grace of God. And we've just said we're going to love the gospel, we're going to love each other, and as we do that, we're going to love the people that we are sent to. So I'm just going to run through some pictures. We called a pastor elder this year, and this is Tim and Katie and uh, Isaac. This is a massive grace in the life of a church that a man would say, I would love to serve as an authority, as a leader, as a shepherd, as a servant to this people. And the Lord brought the barkas here has healed them, and they are beautifully serving you and doing mission with us. And so just this would be enough of a win for a year in the life of the church. We're thankful for it. We've baptized two folks in the life of our church, both teenagers who have been discipled through the student ministry stuff that we're doing. So this is our boy, Ralph, who is styling today. If you see him later on, my goodness, he looks good, who uh, for two years spent time with us and learned and learned and learned and believed. And then a couple of weeks ago, we baptized Brandon, who's 15, and has been in the life of this church since his littlest days, and has just come to believe Jesus over time. We want to fill the tank at the front of this church with kids, grown-ups, folks who have been in the life of the church, outside of the life of the church, that may, may show off the grace of Jesus to them. So anytime that you are seeing faith is a good thing. We're also training leaders for our churches, so we did a, a pastoral training track this year, a couple of Kennebunk, Malden, uh, Kennebunk, Melrose, and Waltham guys spent the year thinking deeply on what is a pastor, what is a church, what is the mission of God, am I called to this, and we've been working with them on that. It was a great year with these men. We also trained, is there six? Okay, Patty's over there. So trained five women this year to serve diaconally in the life of our churches, to come alongside our pastors to help us make disciples of the women in the lives of our churches. They gave themselves to a year of thinking about gospel and femininity and how do those two things coalesce and show off the beauty of Christ and how can I be trained to help others embrace that with us. So we had a great year with this crew. Um, we did some training of our musicians this year, spent a night with them, brought someone in from the outside to talk with us about what is essential if we're going to lead people to believe the gospel as they sing together. And so it is a miracle that music works in the life of our churches because as of now, we don't have any paid staff giving time to that here. And so these are volunteers who love each other and love you and are giving up their time to serve you well. And so we took some time to train them. This is just a picture of a gospel community, girls hanging out, some of my favorites. We are living in small community. This would have been a night where the Bible was opened. We were confessing sin, learning what it means to be Jesus's people and like, can you feel the super tight community in here? Four of them right on one couch. 
That's how we roll. So gospel communities are doing well. We've got our space open here every Tuesday morning for a play group for area mothers and au pairs. Is that the right phrase? Okay, I got it. So we've had over 80 different local Bostonians who are not following Jesus right now be loved and served by this church. And if you come here between 9 and 11 on a Tuesday morning, there'll be like 20 folks, some seven milers. Some of these families have plugged into the life of these church. Relationships are happening as we just show generosity and say, come use our space. Come let us meet you and love you. So that's going down. Our student ministry is doing great. These are kids from fourth through ninth grade. This was over at Bodeborg, but they are becoming friends. They're being discipled. They're asking a ton of questions, and we're pointing them to to Jesus. I have no idea how we got two Knicks jerseys in this picture, but if you got Photoshop skills, we need some green in there, a little Hayward. All right, next one. We also, third ministry that we're doing, we launched this year is called The Well, and we've been gathering on a quarterly basis women in our churches and in area churches to come and to breathe and to rest and to sing and to hear the gospel together and to slow down in the craziness of their life to to turn themselves toward Christ. This has not only been about helping to serve people who already follow Jesus, but we have literally had conversations with Bibles open from this time together and people saying, I don't know what it is to be free or to have rest. Where do I find that? So we're seeking with the use of this space how we can do more ministry together like that. Do I have more pictures? This year we tried not having church in this space on two holiday weekends and instead to gather as gospel communities had around 100 different people plus their kids in a smaller setting to share a meal together and inviting friends into that. And then last picture, also trying to live missionally together. And one of the cool things that a gospel community did here this year was a Kentucky Derby party. So I think those are the names of the horses on there. And had a dozen folks who are not a part of the church come and be given a meal and a good fun time to be together in a yard. Remember, most Bostonians don't know anyone who loves Jesus, who believes the gospel, who is following Jesus. And so we are moving toward them in love to meet and love and gospel them and welcome them into the grace that we had received. So all that is going down and more in the life of our church. All right, here's our dream. that This year, those four churches would have good, strong years that they would grow tight and bigger and healthier. And also, that over the course of these years, we would be invited into this again and maybe again and then again and again, that when we're done with our race, we will leave behind us a family of gospel-centered and missional churches that are doing good gospel work. Let's ask for that one more time, and then we'll come to the table. Father, we freely confess we're idiots, we're sinners, we're slow on the uptake. We need you both to forgive us and to change us. So I pray that you would come do it. 
but I do want you to hear us as, as heaven is open today while we worship. We're in with you. We want to build. We want to love. We want to serve. We want to see your church thriving. So I pray that you would take the meager stuff that we bring to the table and that you would bless it and that in blessing others, you would bless us and that Jesus would be lifted up because he's everything. He sustains all things. All things hold together because of him. He's redeeming all things. It's only in him that our joy, our real deep down joy can be found. So I pray that we and many that we haven't met yet would be led to Christ. Would you hear my prayer for that and answer our prayer?